Hi, my name is Anthony Treble and welcome to my podcast, My Mental Mates. This is the podcast where I discuss with people their journey with mental health and how they came through it. Um, this week's slightly different. I've got three guests on this week, all of whom are running the London Marathon for Mind this year. Um, so if you'd like to donate to their pages, you can find the links in the bio. Um, just a warning, there is going to be some stuff that could be triggering and also some swearing. So apologies for that. Um, so yeah, let's crack on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Mental Mates. Uh, this week we are definitely mixing it up a little bit. We've got three guests on, um, all from the 2021 Mind Marathon team. Um, we've got Adam Cook, we've got Courtney Reed, and Jordan Camp all coming on to talk about their their journey with mental health and just to discuss mental health in a wider aspect. Um, so thank you all for coming on. Um, we'll go one by one to begin with. Um, I'll go around the houses as I can see on the screen. So Adam, would you like to introduce yourself first and, and talk a bit about why you're running for Mind? Okay, yeah. Hi, um, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm Adam. Um, I'm living in Bristol at the moment. I'm actually from Devon. Um, and yeah, obviously we met each other through the Mind group. Um, and the reason that I'm running for Mind is because, well, I've had a past experience, well, my fr- I've had past experience with my friend who suffered from mental health issues and then ended up committing suicide a few years ago um and then off the back of that me and my friends we actually did a charity football match for mind um which in which we raised i think it's four thousand four hundred pound um and it's kind of inspired me to sort of look other ways to fundraise and then throughout lockdown last year i decided to start running and realized that oh i quite enjoy running as well so then put the two and two together and it's always been a sort of goal of mine to maybe do the london marathon um, and then so went ahead and applied through Mind, and then that was how I got into it, and here we are. Oh, brilliant! Uh, yeah, I think we're we're all London runners um, from memory, um, so yeah, we'll all hopefully get to meet up on the day. Um, Courtney, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, also obviously running with London. Um, I guess for me, mental health and running have been kind of a a joint thing over the last couple of years. Um, I moved to the UK from Boston in 2017. Um, and I was doing my master's here and now I work at the University of London and, um, you know, just the, the kind of normal situation of uprooting your life, moving to another country, amongst other things, can be you know, a bit of a tricky situation for mental health. Um, and I definitely really benefited from using mind services over the last couple of years. And so just wanted to do something to you know, give a little bit back. Um, and then as far as the running, I, yeah, I never really thought of myself as much of an athlete at all. I was always the sort of um, physically not gifted kid in school um, who did get picked for sports teams, that kind of stuff. So, um, but I started doing it a couple of years ago as mostly to challenge, my, to challenge myself a bit. And I, I found I really liked it. It was actually a really nice way to help me regulate my emotions. Um, and, you know, when I'm not feeling well or and just need to get away from things and take some time to think it's really nice to just you know put on some loud music and go out for for a, li- a nice long run so it seemed like a, a nice no-brainer to be doing some fundraising for mind with running I think that what you just said there you know I was the same I'm not much of a runner so I've always been into sports always but anyone who's ever played football or anything with me will know that I do not run that was yeah. what I was known for I never ran I ended up playing in goal because I couldn't be bothered to run I thought I'd hate running, started doing it. I was like, actually, this is quite therapeutic. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it'll be great to chat about that later. Nice. Um, and finally, last but not least, we have Jordan Kemp. Hi. Uh, yeah, thanks for having 
me on. Uh, firstly, congratulations, second series of the pod. And did I see on social media a thousand listens on a couple of episodes? Yes, yes, we're up to a thousand listens overall. So Thank much more than I was expecting. I was probably li- expecting my mum to listen, and that was about it, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, that's incredible going. Um, <laughs> as as for for my story, it's really kind of. So I'm 20, 27 years old and kind of so I associate a lot of my younger years with uh, negative thinking and stuff like that. And um, basically as time, you know, gone right until sort of my late teens, early twenties, I was sort of just applying that to everything, approaching everything in a really, really, you know, strong negative attitude. And I was just crippled with low self-esteem. So I just overall had this really uh, negative outlook on life and sort of my, my place within it. And um, yeah, basically I just carried that enormous weight of low self-esteem with me in everything I did. And um, yeah, from, from the age of 17 to 20, um, yeah, really just kind of escalated to, to new levels. And um, kind of the way, the way I always describe it to people, it was as if I was continuously filling a balloon with air. And eventually that balloon's just gonna burst which is uh, what I did on May 30th, 2014, which was the eve of my 20th birthday. So my birthday's May 31st. And um, yeah, that was the the big mental breakdown that kind of, I think was a long time coming. A benefit of hindsight, you know, that was, was inevitably going to happen and um, alcohol was involved. Um, of course it was. And um, yeah, that was it really. So then, um, because I was, I always kind of like suffered in silence. I didn't, I was sort of just a bit like, well, you know, this is life, you know, I, I didn't go to university. I finished sixth form and um, went to work with my old man for a bit. And I was just like, well, you know, this is just life now. I'm just going to work and this is how life feels because I didn't really know any different. Um, and then, yeah, after the mental breakdown, there was just nine months of therapy once a week. Um, Fortunately enough, I went privately because I've heard some stories on your podcast, actually, of um, like nightmare stories of finding, um, you know, a therapist and, and a good one at that. And I kind of got really lucky with the first person I went and saw. Immediately felt like, OK, she's really good. Like, I feel very comfortable around her. I feel like I can, tr- I can trust her. And um, yeah, so nine months of, of doing that once a week and um, kind of building the confidence back to sort of a level where, you know, these things I want to do, I can go and do them. And um, yeah, we just went from there really. But even then when I was going to the therapist, I think three or four of my closest friends knew I was going. And um, yeah, I think we'll get, we'll touch on this more later on uh, in terms of like social media and stuff. But after the, well, halfway through the nine months, I sort of said, no, what I really want to do, I really want to go traveling. I really want to go and sort of explore these new places. So I went on this um, three-month trip in March 2015 through to uh, May 27th to 2015. So, yeah, the idea of flying back just before the year sort of anniversary of the big mental breakdown. Um, not had the best time ever. I mean, you know, like, as, everyone, as everyone does when they go travelling like that, it was just so much fun. Met so many amazing people and did all these amazing things. Um, and then, you know, social, like, social media, I put all the photos on Facebook and I had a travel blog then because I just sort of thought, you know, friends and family or anyone that's interested to know what I'm doing, it's on there. And a nice thing for me to look back on afterwards as well. And then shortly after that, I went to Glastonbury 
And again, all over Facebook, photos and stuff like that. And I was getting all these comments, people being like, you have the best life ever. And obviously I, I, I knew of the years and years of negative thinking and suffering and silence. And I was like, Jesus Christ, where have they plucked that out from? And then light bulb moment. I'm like, well, with social media, of course they've got that, that point of view because that's, that's all I'm showing them. So um, a year later, I did my first um, like big physical challenge of um, fun and fundraising. I cycled from London to Paris. Uh, it wasn't for mind this one. It was for the Mental Health Foundation. Uh, by the time I tied that in with um, a blog post where I basically said everything about my mental health journey. And the, you know, the feedback was huge. It was so much bigger than, than anything else I'd written until that point. And I was getting comments from people I'd known all my life, as well as people I'd spent a day with traveling, just being like, read it, loved it. You know, I feel the same way and that sort of stuff. So um, a few years later, I did a few more little backpacking trips here and there. Once I sort of finished the final one in, in 2017, where I actually went to uh, Boston for a bit, Courtney. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when that one was done, I took the travel blog offline, took a bit of a break, and then started my mental health awareness blog which was just going steadily, you know, for a couple of years. And then I always knew I wanted to run the London Marathon, tried for a number of years through the ballot but with no success. And um, I can't remember which one of your podcasts you said this on. I think it might have been the last one, Anthony, where you said Mind was the only charity you applied through. And that was yeah. the same with me. Yeah. The only so I'd to... never applied on the ballot. I thought I'll, I'll apply on the ballot and then I'll apply through Mind. Completely forgot I'd applied. <laughs> until I got the acceptance letter <laughs> and I was like oh yeah I did that <laughs> um, and that was in 2019 um, so yeah I mean look we've, we've spoken before I've, I really want to touch on this because you know it's quite prevalent at the minute um, and you've, you've mentioned it quite a lot there Jordan social media um, is, a, is a huge thing at the minute um, and it's, there's two aspects there's one comparing yourselves to others um, and there's the other one, which is the the response from people online regarding people's mental health. Now we've had, you know, three high profile cases recently um, of people pulling out sporting stuff. Um, is it Simone Giles? She's pulled out. Naomi Osaka pulled out. Um, we also had the tennis player, um, the British tennis player. She pulled out, and also Ben Stokes. You know, obviously yesterday came out and, and said he was struggling and it was interesting to see online the reaction of certain people online to to these saying they are oh, they've let people down you know they've let their country down and they they've only done it because they were performing badly um and that sort of thing you know i can imagine how if i was struggling that today how that would make me feel um What's your guys' thoughts on, on how we, we tackle this? Like, how do we, is it just for awareness or? I definitely think awareness is something that needs to be made, especially when you relate it to a sporting environment there. If, for example, you have a, a, a physical injury, a player would pull out from a squad because they're physically injured. So it, I think people need to understand that a mental sort of difficulty is the same as a physical difficulty. You can, it can stop you from being able to participate in the way that you should be able to. So I do think you need to have some awareness. I think people need to be, become more aware, but I'm not sure how exactly you would sort of relay that because with, you see with social media that a lot of people 
can say whatever they think, whatever they want without any consequence. And you see at the moment outside of mental health as well, you see the issues that there are. Um, and yeah, it, it's just something that I, you need to really, we need to really sort of look to tackle because I don't think social media does the right thing to sort of promote mental health awareness personally. Yeah, yeah it's funny. I mean, I was looking at, you know, some of the comments that were, that were being said and and so many of these profiles that were saying it had like hashtag be kind in their profiles and stuff. And it's it's like a sort of anonymity that which means people get away with with all sorts. And, you know, if, if these people are struggling, they're going to go they're going to go on social media. I mean, I know personally when I'm not feeling 100 percent, I'll sit there scrolling through social media and they're going to see it. Yeah. I think like you say, like it's a good way to sort of like if you're feeling down, it's a good way to sort of there are there are good things as well. Like you see with like the Facebook group in our in our mind group for the marathon, there's a lot of people that discuss when they're feeling down about runs and things, and there's a lot of positive behind it. But again, you do also see that like you say, like I've said, because anybody can say whatever they want without any sort of consequence. You can say the wrong say whatever you're thinking, whether it's right or wrong, and it can really affect somebody and it's not a good thing for mental health at all. Yeah, and then and then there's the other side of it, which is the comparison. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you three have been guilty of this, but I certainly have. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The a bit that Jordan's talking about, especially with um, you know, you always try to really put your your best face forward on social media, and I think it's a really weird situation to. You know, you, you kind of want to celebrate all of the good things that happen in your life and amazing, you know, fun that you're having with friends, and you know really put, and people don't really post a lot about mental health on on social media you know whether that that's good or bad in the the responses you get but it is really hard when you are um you know getting getting friends and people in your life saying oh yeah you know your life is so perfect everything is amazing for you it must be it must be really nice and, and on the inside you're just thinking well they don't really know what's actually going through um so you get this kind of weird cycle i think sometimes of almost having to prove yourself to be you know, happy, or sometimes even in the other sense of um, worrying about, you know, if I if I am being happy on social media, is somebody going to think like, oh, she's fine, there's nothing wrong with her, there's nothing wrong with this person because, oh, look at how happy they are on, on social media. So I think it's like, it's bad in both ways. And sometimes you do compare yourself to other people and all of the, you know, best put forward pictures that they're putting on their social media. But then at the same time, um, you almost feel like you have to prove yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, what I've got from this podcast is when I when I've released it is the amount of people who contacted me to say they were struggling, and they're 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 people like you know like people saying to Jordan like you know I thought their life was amazing, but then I've actually got down speaking to them and they've they've really struggled and they've been through quite a lot, um, and that's probably why they're posting, you know, how happy they are so that people aren't worrying about them. You know, it's that sort of thing. I know when I was struggling, like I tried to, my, my, like I was basically acting that I was as happy as I've ever been, you know, to, to stop people from around me from stressing. And um, yeah, it was, it's just been, it's been quite eye-opening doing, doing this and seeing the response on social media and, and comparing it to what I, I see. And actually I feel like I've, I've connected more with people now that I know what they're going through rather than just seeing some some falseness and I do try and you know with my posts try and you know keep it a bit honest you know my life's pretty good right now and you know but there have been times in my life where 
it's not been great. So I do like to talk about that so people can feel it's okay to. Yeah. Jordan's looking very happy in his <laughs> he's pre-running fuel there. <laughs> My timings today have been horrendous. <laughs> but no, I mean, so I'm just gonna go back to um the reaction um of social on social media. Uh, and to be honest, the reaction of, of all people, because you know, I've I've spoken about the bad there, um, but there was actually some really amazing stuff I saw, like the support, you know, in particular. Um, I, was, I was looking on yesterday purely because, you know, I'm, I'm a big cricket fan. Ben Stokes, you know, a bit of a hero to me. Um, and so, so to hear him come out and say he was struggling, um, you know, it just sort of reaffirmed for me that anyone can struggle. Um, I've read Tyson Fury's book and obviously he was heavyweight champion of the world when he was struggling. So it can it can affect anyone and, and actually seeing by putting yourself out there, like, I mean, we'll, we'll all would have done it with our fundraising. Um, we'll, we'll be putting out there that we've struggled. Um, and even, you know, one person might see that um, and think actually it's okay to be, you know, not to be okay. You know, it's, it's not always going to be sunshine and flowers and everything. It's, it's going to be shit sometimes, but you know, there is, there is a way out um, and there is a way forward. Um, so yeah, just to just to go on to the next bit, um, you know, Adam, you've said this before when we've spoken. Um, you know, your friend unfortunately committed suicide, um, and that sort of led to you so, sort of trying to live life to the fullest. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been sort of like a quite a positive person and as I said I've been fortunate enough to not actually like sort of suffer from any sort of mental health myself but off the back of sort of like my wife and my friends and stuff I've realized that when things go wrong like I always try and give myself a positive outlook I know it's easier said than done sometimes but I just think I can either sort of let it build up myself or I can try and just stay as strong as possible regardless of what it might be whether it's I've lost a game of football whether it's something serious has happened with the work or at home or anything I just try and always say myself I can either let myself be sort of upset and let it get on top of me or I can try and be proactive about the situation and try and stay positive and think that sort of that thing might have happened but now I've got to try and stay positive and find a way to sort of move forward and keep keep myself as happy as and positive as possible and I've spoken to people about this previously and I, I do understand that it's probably not an easy the easiest thing in the world to try and do but it's the way I've sort of tried to live and I've definitely seen like myself just always finding myself in a positive like sort of mood with life really. Do you find your therapy helps you get to that sort of place Jordan? Yeah yeah definitely um I think um so I've been back a, a few times since some for emergencies some so I'm, I'm, I'm going once a week at the minute um but I've never I'm really sort of spoken at people and been like yeah I'm back in therapy since it's kind of it's not um, like a mental health emergency. It's just sort of something I've noticed. I've done the whole uh, lockdown pandemic in this flat by myself. And now the world's reopened. I sort of just noticed my social skills have sort of regressed a bit. Yeah. So I went back regarding that really. But yeah, going back to the original point, it's definitely, I mean, yeah, looking back, I can't, you know, picture my life without it. I mean, my flat, you can't really see it because a lot of the pictures are sort of behind in the hallway my flat's like a shrine to like my travels and stuff like that, which, you know, never would have happened 
had had I not gone to therapy, it's as simple as I just kind of would have carried on, carried on, carried on, and you know who knows what would have happened. I'm one of the fortunate ones that you know doesn't have to because I know that whenever things have gone bad and they've got bad since they've been close to that sort of ballpark of the night before my 30, 20th birthday sorry um yeah and you change and I don't know I can I, when there's it hurts me when there are so many people out there who don't have that you know don't, don't, I don't want to say ability I can't quite think of the right word but that knowledge to be like okay this isn't right this doesn't feel right I had to go and speak to someone because to them the you know the feelings of bad mental health are just normal and I think because of the pandemic people are a lot more in touch with what these sort of feelings feel like because you know, for the first time in our lifetimes our parents lifetimes our grandparents lifetimes we've all just you know been everyone's been going through the same thing but um yeah, no, yeah and, uh, you know you just, you've said like about the pandemic there we've all had to sort of stay inside We've all had to sort of get to know ourselves a bit better. Um, and I think, you know, there's been a lot of negative feelings throughout the pandemic, but it's it's allowed me to sort of pick up on what I'm feeling a little bit better. I've mm-hmm. learned I've learned what I'm going through a bit a bit more. Um, and I've dealt with it a lot more. Yeah. Absolutely. I think one of the big things that was really interesting for me was um I, I think when I when I start to struggle with things going on, I try to overload myself with other activities and work and whatever to try to avoid those feelings as much as possible sometimes. Um, so being at home and kind of being in that quiet was a really nice opportunity to say, all right, you know what, I haven't been feeling well. Let's like sit down and actually think about it and and, and work through it. So it's been quite valuable in that way. That's such a typical thing to do. I, I, I mean, you're obviously from the US, where you know probably the work culture is even worse than it is over over here. Um, but and I've spoken to this, spoken about this previously on the podcast. I think we've got it so fucking wrong over here um, on our work life balance. And but the pandemic allowed us to sort of rebalance that for a short period. Um, in general have a different priority of what's important to them since at the start of the pandemic, right? You, you've you lost all of the ability to do the the kind of normal thing. So when you do get the opportunity to, um, you know, have some free time or to see a friend, um, you really do things that are very important to you. I found that a lot of these kind of comparing myself to other people type of things, the, the, the feelings of FOMO or, um, you know, just, just not feeling right. It's, it's got, kind of gotten away a little bit actually. And I find I spend a little bit more time being quiet, being with myself and being alone and, and, and working on these kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've certainly, you know, since things have reopened, I, I'll be honest, I haven't really done that much. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've found quite a, like, a nice contentness. I, I do my garden, you know, obviously marathon training, it's it's takes up a lot of time, yeah. <laughs> a lot of energy. <laughs> um, so that's played a big part in it as well. Yeah. But it, it's been, you know, it's not, there is a bit of anxiety for me for going out and stuff, but at the same time, it's also, I'm just quite happy now, just just being fairly chill. And... I think, so, yeah, thinking on the pandemic a little bit more, I think the worst part of the whole thing for me was that month before the first lockdown when just no one really knew what was the right thing to do. Yeah. Oh, that, was, that was horrendous. And I was going through 
a really difficult like working relationship with some of my colleagues at the time. And I, I don't, I don't work there anymore and I never, I will never see them again. So that's how that kind of whole thing got resolved, but dealing on top of that, like the pandemic on top of all that. And um, my office was really going in every day until the 11th hour, like every week, more and more at the commuter train got quieter and quieter. And just from my balcony window that here, uh, you can see a multi-story car park in the pre-pandemic world. That was just chock-a-block with cars. And that, like now, even after the so-called Freedom Day during the week, it's still empty. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I mean, funnily enough, I was in a, not, not, it wasn't quite, you know, that bad situation at work, but there was just one or two people which had left me feeling really uncomfortable about going into work. Um, and I was quite happy to get away from them. You know, it was, I was having panic attacks about seeing certain people in the office. Um, and it just got to a point where I was like, thank fuck we are locked down because I don't have to deal with that. You know, I was I was in a very, I, I mean, I was in, in a very lucky position in that my, me and my girlfriend, we worked together. So um, And we weren't living together at the time, but we moved in together the first day of lockdown because we thought, oh, it's only going to be three weeks. So forth, but it just sort of gave me that normality because I'd been sat near her working for ages. So it was just like, oh, it's, it's not too different. We can still talk about work and stuff. But it just took out those negative people. Um, mm. And I've sort of taken that on since. Like I've moved jobs, but um, like I just, if, if there's someone I don't like on social media or in my life, I just don't talk to them. Like, and yeah, I, I think that's a really good thing to do, even outside of social media as well, just to just. One, one really good thing to have a positive mindset is to take away the negativity, which is kind of what I was relating to say, if I've had something bad happen, whether it's like lose a game of football, that's a negative thing for me. And you've got to try and move on from that as quickly as you possible. And then you take that positive mindset from it. And I think it's the same with like the lockdown, like lockdown, like we said, like you said, and everyone said there's been a struggle with this that, and the other, but all of us then have just mentioned the positives like you said about like moving in with your girlfriend and things like that and how changing jobs. And you've actually found like more peace from the lockdown. So like as much as we have all complained about lockdowns, there have been a lot of positives, which is definitely a good thing as well. Yeah, I mean that's po- positivity is just you know so underrated. And you talk you talk there about like getting positivity from losing a football game. You know, losing a football game in the grand scheme of things, it's not much. But you know you are you are frustrated. Anyone who's played football will be like you're frustrated. But if you can turn start turning those little negatives into little positives then you can build it up and you can start having, you know, turning big negatives into big positives. And exactly. yeah, there's, there's some stuff where you just can't and you just have to accept that you can't. But, yeah. you know, for but I think that's another big thing. The accepting, of, the accepting of the fact that you can't as well is also another big thing. If you if Because if you let yourself get too worked up about something that you can't change, then you let it get on top of you again. And that's, that's another thing that I've like, tried to do. Like, if there's something you can't change, You've got to try and stay as positive about the situation as possible, whether whether you can change it or not. And it's something that I've sort of had to learn to do, and it's something I sort of what I try and take in everyday life now. Yeah, it's definitely an art form and something that you have to work really hard at to learn how to do to you know take something that's bad and put a positive spin on it. And I think it's it's you know we get really I don't know a little bit messed up I think from a lot of things growing up and about you know is it okay to make mistakes? Is it okay to have a bad day? Is it okay to to fail at something? Um, I feel like, yeah, since, you know, growing up, it's, it's always been this anxiety about something going wrong or, um, 
you know, just, just having some kind of negativity. So it's very easy to become very fixed on it. And it does take a lot of work to undo that and just to try to get to a point where you appreciate the, the little things that are happening and try to get that positive spin. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's definitely a skill to learn, but it's very hard. <laughs> it's, it's funny, you know, talking about the pandemic. And I think at this point, we've all kind of gotten used to it in a way that we can sit and pick out little things that were good. But honestly, if I think back to it, it was just mostly miserable, <laughs> especially for the first, you know, eight months. It was really bad. Um, so I, I think just, that's... Just want to intervene there. Something that you've just touched upon there is failure. We're, yeah. We're brought up to treat failure as bad. Now, I've so I'm someone who probably from the age of, well, from the age of birth until the age of 27, I've read about three books. The last year, I've got really into, like, I read a lot more. I've not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, my missus reads like two books, three books a month. I'm nowhere near that. But I'm reading more than I did for the first 27 years of my life. And every, and it's all about, you know, improvement and those kind of books. And it's all, every single one talks about failure as a positive. And that's yeah. such a good thing to do. Yeah, it really is. I, I've seen that, like, I, there was a podcast I listened to previously, um, and they were saying how um, with children, they don't they don't have winners and losers anymore because they don't want to sort of have that competition sort of side of things. But I think even from a young age, it's important to learn about failing and then overcoming that. If you always are in a position where you've never lost or had to admit something's not gone right, you're never in a position to overcome that. And I think that's a really important thing to have in life. You need to be able to sort of develop the, the, yourself when things go wrong. And I think that's something that's really, really important. I've had things that have gone wrong and you have to learn and overcome that, don't you? And that's, the, that's part of life, isn't it really? You can't go your whole life where everything goes perfectly for you. And yeah, it really needs to be something that you learn through life. Yeah, there's a lot of avoidance or fear of, of failing and you're absolutely right. It, it keeps you from really acknowledging when things are, are not going right, when there's definitely room for improvement. If you're, you know, so avoidant of, um, you know, admitting that you might not be in a great place or that you, you may have failed, then you won't be able to move past it. I think that's where a lot of the anxiety in day-to-day -day life kind of comes from. It's just this fear and worry about not something not being right. Linking that back to what we were saying about social media, I think that's another sort of negative of all those online platforms on our phones is that no one ever posts about the negatives, or very few people do. I, I try to more often, even then I find myself scrolling through my own page, being like, I'm still like, it's all about the, you know, look, I hit a good round of golf today, and my Instagram stories are, oh, look, West Ham won a game of football today, and it's just like, that's not like... That doesn't happen too often, but... yeah. <laughs> I think it's difficult though because like you use social media now as a way to sort of post the positives in your life like you don't have photo albums like you did when we were all kids we looked through photo albums didn't we and that was our childhood memories now we look back through Instagram and that's our memories so you want it to be positive you don't want to look back through and think oh I had a bad day here so you are posting all the positives because that's just what we do isn't it like we we look back through and see the positive side yeah I guess looking through photo albums is a bit different though because you're not looking through everybody else's photo albums yeah, it's a little exactly. bit focused on yourself and the good things in your life rather than to be oh yeah you know things are good for me but i'm looking at 
you know, so and so's page and, oh, their life seems so much cooler than mine does or they yeah. look like they're much happier, right? Just always a comparison, isn't there? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I think it's natural. Like, we're always kind of, you know, taught to compare each other and it's something that you learn from a really young age. So it's it's hard to not give in to it when you see it. But yeah, I think the, the focusing on yourself and, um, you know, the, the different things going on around you and less on other people is definitely a good a good thing to get into a habit of. I think it's been a lot easier with the pandemic, going back to that. It's been a lot easier to have that t- alone time with yourself and with your immediate family and these kinds of things. It's good. Yeah, especially after that like, really tricky month before the first lockdown, once Bojo did his, um, you know, you must stay at home speech. I, I remember the immediate feeling for me was relief. I was just like, thank mm. goodness for that. And um, part of that is because I, like, I do know how to you know, look after myself. It's normally like external people sort of, you know, like getting involved when I don't necessarily want them to. So when, you know, it's just me at home, Netflix is right there. I've got candles and stuff like that. And I, I, like, I love my flat as well. So I do like that environment, you know, I knew I was going to be okay in that sense. So, just wish it didn't go on so long. I'd rather have not cancelled free holidays. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's. I think that's been one of the toughest things is not having that break. Um, you know that because I think when you do go on holiday, you are able to disassociate with, you know, work and and home a lot easier than say if you have a week off in even if you have it in the UK you still know you're in the UK you still feel that sort of connection to the UK whereas when I when I'm on holiday I don't care what's happening back home like it's not a care I mean <laughs> on holiday I'm that guy who just you know, fucked off don't, don't look at it just yeah be present whether that's a hiking holiday beach holiday skiing holiday yeah anything like that my phone most of the time is off So just going on to, so we've all been speaking about how, you know, we have, we can be a bit more proactive with our, uh, with our mental health there. Um, and, and something, so I was laying in bed the other night cause I was thinking about this podcast and I was just, and I, I realized a lot of it is sort of perspective. So what anxiety and depression done for me was, was to take away my perspective on a lot of things. Um, and I sort of thought of like an analogy where, if you draw a big dot on a bit of paper and put it right close to your face, that's all you can see. And that's what anxiety and, and depression done for me. It, it, the big dot was negatives in my life and I was focusing purely on that. And what I've learned over time is to, is to take a step back. You take a few steps back away from the bit of paper and you can see what's happening all around and, mm. and picking those positives. What, what do each of you do to sort of, you know, be proactive around mental health to, to improve it and, you know, when you are struggling to get out of it or to, you know, sort of a preventative measure even, like even when you are, I think we can be quite reactive with our mental health, right? I only deal with it when it's getting bad. Um, it's a very cliche one and it obviously ties in very well with how we've all come to know each other, but it's exercise, moving, moving your body around, I think kind of just, and however, however, you that obviously there's so many ways you can do that. At the minute, I'd imagine ours involves a lot of running. Um, but um, yeah, just simple stuff like that, really. Uh, that's why I normally try to kind of get my exercises done in the morning, if possible. 
obviously it's not, not always possible, but when it is, um, because it kind of starts the day right. So like with Park Run, for example, coming back uh, last week, sort of start your weekend, you know, 5K done before half nine in the morning, which is glorious. So that's that's me being proactive about it, I would say. So during lockdown, because um, I've always, this is sort of similar to what Adam, Adam was like, um, how I really got into running in lockdown, just something to do. Because I don't know if you guys remember, there was that challenge where you run 5K, nominate five people and donate five pounds. That was sort of the first run I did. And I've always had a love-hate relationship with running. I could kind of, you know, I'd run half a marathon. So I did the Hackney Half in 2018 or 19 and then didn't touch my running shoes again. Probably until <laughs> the pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah, the way it happened. But I could always sort of drop in and just do a 5K for a fairly decent time. I remember doing that, um, yeah, run, run, nominate, donate five. And I was just huffing and puffing. I was like, Jesus Christ, Jordan, what, what's happened? What's happened to you? <laughs> I ran 5K three times a week during lockdown initially. And I, I have a road bike as well. Um, so I take that out. But I live in a city centre. So you kind of have to cycle out of the city and then go around the loop and then come back. So it's a, a lot harder. Um, obviously, gyms were closed, which wasn't very good. But yeah, just being active. Golf, football, cricket and stuff like that. Just that's me being proactive, keeping on top of it. What about you, Courtney? Yeah, it's definitely been similar. I, as a quick side note, I, I super appreciate everybody here being like, oh, I'm not an athlete and I have a love-hate relationship with running. It's very nice to know that I'm amongst the same company. <laughs> I think that's the thing you, uh, you talk with people who are, yeah, doing a training for kind of intense races and you must think, oh God, I'm the only person who, uh, who is struggling with this or who has struggled with this. And so it's nice to hear from other people. And I think that's a nice um, parallel to mental health in a way. Um, but in, yeah, I mean, in lockdown, I had very much the same, um, less actually with running, but I, um, I took a lot of time to do some more mindfulness practice and that's been really helpful for me. Um, my housemate and I, um, especially during the beginning of, of lockdown last year and, and basically all through the summer of last year, um, she and I basically just, whenever we get up in the morning, we go leave the house and go and sit in the park nearby. I live in Myland, so we would go to Myland or Victoria Park or, you know, somewhere over there. And um, we just sit for at least an hour and do a little bit of yoga, a little bit of mindfulness and kind of breathing meditation exercises. Um, and, and in the same sense of, yeah, if you do that as soon as you get up, it kind of puts you in the, the right perspective for the day. And I think it's really good at cultivating this appreciation for yourself and for your body. Um, you, you put yourself through a lot of stress. So it's nice to take that time and really, um, you know, sit down and have that moment of quiet. Um, so I found that that was really, really helpful. Um, just trying to get into a, a better headspace first thing in the morning instead of, you know, jumping up and getting right to work and, uh, you know, heading into a commute, which was no longer happening, thankfully. But um, yeah, that, that definitely is another related thing. Yeah, something you said just there is um, not jumping straight into work. I'm guilty of doing this a bit myself, especially when working from home. Straight out of bed, straight into work. And I notice how different I feel that day to the days where I get up and go for a run or get up and go to the gym or just get up and and just like have a cup of tea watching, you know, watching the TV with my dog and or take the dog for a walk and not yeah. starting my day with, with work. I mean, you know, work's work, everyone's got to do it, but you know, it's not how I want to start my day. I want it to be part of my day, not my whole day. Um, and that's, that's something why I, I try and get up earlier because then it does just become part of my day. It's not 
you know the whole of my day where I'm just working and then I'm just tired from work and then I'm going to sleep early because I need to get out for work and trying to put stuff in around that which is which is you know positive stuff um you know taking that time just just means that you know work does become part of my day rather than you know a sole focus and and practicing mindfulness you know I've, I've tried to do a bit of journaling I don't always stick with it but it does help me you know I'll, I'll dip in and out with that and you know a bit of meditation um, and there's loads of stuff out there now isn't there like online like YouTube and and all sorts where you can get this sort of like get tips on on meditation because I think I spoke about it before I thought meditation was for hippies for a long time it turns out it's not it's for everyone everyone should be doing it what about you Adam? Yeah, so I, I agree with what all three of you said there about about trying to do getting out early and running. I found that during lockdown, like like I said previously, I've not I've been fortunate enough to not actually suffer with like any mental health um, issues. But what I found is during lockdown, I was finding I was almost starting to get like a little bit agitated in the evenings if I didn't go for a run in the morning because it was just such a good way to clear my head in the morning. You get out early and you get yourself into a little routine. Because I was for where I work, I work in sport and sport completely shut down for months. So we weren't actually doing anything for such a long period of time. Um, so I had, a, I think it was like two or three months where I was having no work at all. Um, I was just at home free to do whatever I wanted, um, which sounds like it's a good, a good thing, but it's not, you get really, really bored if you can't work from home as well. Um, so yeah, I found that in the mornings, the best thing I could do was get out in the morning, go for a run, then you come back and you have your food and then you find yourself in a routine. And then next thing you know, it's lunchtime. And then you try and find something else to occupy yourself. So I find that like just trying to keep yourself busy. Um, if if you are sort of struggling or you're feeling slightly down or anything, the best thing to do is just keep yourself occupied um, with things that will sort of help you mentally. If you know that running is a relief, like a stress relief, then that's something good to do. Like again, for me, like I'm I'm really into sport. I love football. Um, I'm a Leeds United fan, so I would always watch Leeds United games, make sure that's a thing. And just things like that, just things that you know that you enjoy doing, stick to those things. And if you do things that you enjoy, it puts you in a positive mindset. I love what you just said there. Occupy yourself with positive things. Courtney mentioned earlier that she kept herself busy with sort of negative things, which <laughs> I am, you know, I'm I'm very guilty of. And I think so many of us are. It's a really easy trap to fall into, I think. And it's because those negative things are, are easier to find. They're easier to do. You know, it's easy just to, you know, keep working or, you know, mm. just watching Netflix for hours on end because and laying on the sofa all day. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. But you start doing that day in, day out. You know, you're not going to get anything from it. You're not going to get relaxation. You're going to get sedentary and, you know, not feel good about yourself. Hello, just quickly interrupting proceedings uh, to let you know this season I have joined forces with a mental health startup called Tally. Uh, in anticipation of their huge app launch, Tally has decided to record their own podcast called the Tally Talk Podcast. Uh, the mental health startup hosts weekly anonymous conversations around society's most stigmatised subjects. Um, the Tally Talk Podcast also gives people with lived experiences the opportunity to speak openly, honestly and freely on hard-hitting topics such as sexual abuse, addiction and abortion while staying anonymous. 
Uh, you can dive into the podcast today uh, and check out this year's most exciting mental health startup as featured in Forbes magazine by searching tally.app, that's T-A-L-L-E-Y dot app, on all other major streaming and social media platforms. So yeah, go check them out, I recommend them. So we've spoke generally about mental health there. I want to I want to go into your, each of your stories a bit more, if if that's okay. Um, we'll go we'll go around the opposite way this time. We'll start with you, Jordan. Um, you've mentioned this date a number of times, um, of sort of being a key turning point for you. What what was it? One that led to that, and and two, what what happened during that period? Um. I think what led to that was um, the, um, like I said, it was a long time coming, I think. And looking back on it now, um, it's just, um, well, sorry, I'm rambling a bit. It's, um, I drank quite a lot then. Like, not to say oh, I was an alcoholic or anything like that, but, um, you know, my, my family aren't, aren't big drinkers. We were never a family, just you know, had beers in the fridge or anything like that. I don't think I've ever seen my dad drink more than like two doom bars or anything like that. And so, you know, when you're 16, 17, you've got these little house parties going on. I used to have to get like my friends, parents to get me like beers and stuff. And then when I was 18, you know, I was just like, well, I'm going gun ho with this now. I'm going to go town every Thursday and student. I'm going to go town every Saturday. And, you know, when I drink now, I drink for the social aspect of it. I, I didn't drink for most of lockdown because I'm like, well, there's no social side, but I'm just going to be sitting here watching like Gladiator or whatever. And I don't need the beer or anything like that. And, you know, nothing's going to make that film better than it already is. So, <laughs> That's my favourite film of all time. Like, it is so good. I love it. Um, and that's the thing you... And then as, as it gets worse and worse, because it's not the alcohol that's sort of making your feelings worse. You know, the alcohol's just kind of you're letting loose a bit more, you're sort of burning all the steam and then, you know, that's sort of removing the filter of me just sort of being this, this uh, timid, shy, very negative person. And then, you know, you take away the beer gogs or anything like that. Um, yeah, it was just a really bad time. Is it? Yeah. And then what's the second part of that question? Sorry. Um, so, so you've, you've spoken about this date, um, May 28th, was it? Uh, May thirtieth. May thirtieth. Sorry, um, a, a, a few times. What 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 happened on this day? If you don't mind me asking. Okay. Yeah. So my birthday was the Saturday, the thirty first, and basically I planned a big a trilogy of like events to celebrate. Uh, I called it Jordan Camp's triple header. So Friday was. Do you guys know what pub golf is? Oh yes. So yeah, Friday was a big old game of pub golf around Colchester. Saturday there was a boxing fight on uh Frotch versus Groves the rematch at Wembley Stadium um so I was going to have everyone over to you know watch that and again a few more beers and then Sunday's the barbecue just you know see out the weekend like that and then um on the 30th um you know pub golf if you've played it you know it it degenerates quite quickly and um we just did yeah nine hole nine pubs and uh, it was the last one the bouncer was just like, no, you're not getting in here. And then you just sort of react negatively to that. And because um, we were all dressed in like golf attire, it was quite easy for him to radio in all the bouncers and be like, there's 10 people here dressed in golf attire, don't let them in. 
So he went somewhere else, same sort of thing. And then we just got into a massive argument, me and him. And then he just shoved me against the wall. And I remember I was sort of bleeding down here a bit. And I just sort of basically burst into tears and that, that was it. And three of my friends, you know, instantly were like, that's, you know, that's not right. That's not, no, that's something's going on there. And they all got me in a taxi, got me home. And um, yeah, that was that. I knew originally at that point, I sort of knew, you know, come on, this isn't normal. This isn't the way life's supposed to be. Like something's happened here. Um, I mean, because my friend, three friends there were more knowledgeable of what happened. I couldn't sort of you know, brush it under the carpet or hide from it anymore. Something had to be done. Um, and yeah, I, spoke, I was working with my dad at the time, spoke to him about it. And then after work that evening, we sort of did the Google research and to find therapists in the area. And then did the first appointment for a few few days later. Well, I had a doctor's appointment uh, between um, where I officially got diagnosed. And he sort of, you know, here's your antidepressants, here's a list of NHS therapists you know it's 50 50 and all your friends are gonna be really good in this situation and then spoke to dad about it and we found the the therapist who you know i still will go up and see today if if need be uh like i said earlier i am at the minute so and yeah that was it really so it was a really tough week before that first appointment just where i was so you know miserable so just depressed and hated everything and um yeah, slowly, gradually built it up with the weekly sessions there every Monday after work. Um, so you had to work 8 till 4.30, therapy 5 till 5.50. And then back then we had a, like a le- you know, leisure league, six aside, seven aside football. Um, yeah, that afterwards. So, and you just gradually, I, I noticed the improvements. And then, yeah, um, that October, I remember sort of for. I'd had a session. I was like, you know, I really, I've always wanted to travel. One of my best friends who I'd say is like my travel idol. He, he's been everywhere. And um, I just thought that was always the one thing in my life I knew I wanted to do. And that's so whenever you sort of speak to the therapist about, you know, what's going to boost your self-esteem, what's going to get you thinking more confidently. I was like, well, I don't do things I enjoy. And then that was, that was the big one. So, um, yeah, booked an appointment of uh, a travel appointment at STA Travel like a few months so from June till October it was just you know weekly therapy and you know, tinkering on as as normal really no work and my routine didn't change too much and then um this thing I always looked to as like a turning point another sort of turning point so I had the appointment with the travel agent mapped down said oh I'd love to go here I'd love to go here I'd love to go here and she printed out the itinerary and gave it to me and said oh you know let us know when you want to push forward with it me pre-mental breakdown if I was even in the travel age and would have gone home and just been that itinerary and wouldn't have ever gone back to it and then she just emailed me a few days later being like did you want to go ahead and book this and for the first time I was just like well yeah 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 I do want to do that I know I know that's going to make me feel good I know that's something I really want to do and yeah that that was it really so had another few months of therapy I had therapy like literally right up until I went so I remember I flew out on a Sunday and um yeah I had the final therapy session the Monday before and yeah it kind of just gave me that confidence to know you know you can do these things and so I went for a career change and again wouldn't have ever done that had I not had the awareness you know okay you need to be proactive with these things don't let them reach boiling point like I had um yeah so what what career was you in and, and did you end up going to 
Um, so I was a project manager just in the engineering industry and that was yeah, my dad. And then I sort of thought, you know, I'm comfortable here financially and it pays out of West Ham season to get the time. I lived in London for a year and it, you know, saved the money and paid for this flat and the, the travels and everything like that. But it just wasn't me. It wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Um, so I was just applying for jobs one summer and then there was a journalism course um, I read about and thought, you know, I'll, I'll apply for that as well. Didn't really expect much to come of it, but applied for it and then had an interview for that and have all the things I applied and interviewed for. I just thought, you know, a lot of people would say this is either a lateral move or a step back, but just what um, she said to me in the interview, I was just like, yeah, I can see myself doing that. Um, so I joined them as a trainee for, well, it was meant to be from September 2019 to until May 2020. But then because of the pandemic, exams and stuff got postponed and cancelled. So it got extended a little bit. And obviously we had to work from home for the last few months of it, um, which was mostly good. Um, I enjoyed being there before Christmas. So September until, you know, the end of the year was good. And then sort of January until March was where I began to have issues with certain people I had to see every day and similar to what you were saying about the, the people you worked with Anthony some, very similar to like when you were saying that earlier I was sort of thinking Jesus this is exactly what I was going through before it's, it's not nice because you, you spend a lot about you spend you know most of your midweek in in that environment and, and it's just, friend my family yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's so, it is really tough when you're going in every day and you just know you're going to be dealing with these, these people or this person. And it's so draining. Like I was coming out of there and I was just so tired by the end of it, you know, at the same time, um, my, my granddad, had, we found out my granddad had cancer. Um, and you know, that was quite a rapid, decline for him and that was going on at the exact same time so it was just like I didn't need that going on because it was meant I couldn't deal with what was actually going on in my life um so it's and you know I'm I've always tried to be someone good to work with because of that reason you know I, I look back and I probably haven't been all my life but you know certainly in, since I've been struggling with mental health for the last five six years you know, it sort of switched my mentality to try and be a positive influence on other people and, and try and help rather than, you know, stamp on others. And this is what this person done. They just would stamp on others to make themselves feel better rather than celebrate people doing well. And it was just, a, it was just something I couldn't understand. I couldn't get it. I couldn't understand it at all. You know, she was mid thirties, you know, you should be more experienced in life to know that that's not the way to do it. And yeah, it's, it's little things like that, which really can affect other people. Um, so I know what you've been there through there, Jordan. And it, you know, people probably listening or who, who would hear that would say, Oh, it's just one person at work, but you know, you are with them all day. It's, it's tough to. Yeah. And like you said, Dutch, I always remember um, there's a long commute message. So I was in Twickenham. I remember my commute was one of the longest. I just remember sort of turning around from the train station, you'd see the building. I'd be like, how long's it going to be today before he, before he starts going? And it would literally sometimes be 30 seconds when him walking in the door or, you know, then I, you know, and that's the thing I, I tried to tell him as well. 
I've just been like, I asked him, told him, begged him. I was like, come on, you're being ridiculous. Like, and just nothing. And I just remember at one point, I just sort of, we were doing the Chelten, we were doing live blogs for Cheltenham, um, you know, the one that shouldn't have gone ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, he just came and made a comment. So I just emailed my like personal tutor there and I was like, you need to get him to stop. Like I've tried, he's not hearing it from me. Clearly doesn't respect me enough to stop. He needs to hear it from you. So you know, she replied and she was like, um, we need to speak about, like, I'll speak to you first and speak to him. And she called me into her office and basically I went into more detail about why I, like why it's affecting me being there like and that sort of stuff and then she went she said okay well I'll speak to one of the one of her colleagues and then get back to me and then yeah I can't remember if it was later that day or the next day but that sort of time frame called me back in and basically said um right right now we're not going to intervene but if it gets if it carries on you know we'll do we'll do something about that and my my like self-esteem and confidence around about that time was as low as it had been since uh, May 30th, 2014. It wasn't anywhere, it wasn't close. Like I was a lot worse back in 2014, but like it was heading that way. And when, when I remember when she said that, whatever was left of my confidence being there or like just being there in general, just smashed into a million pieces. And it, like, if, if it happened now, I said that, I, I would be like, you know, no, that's not good enough. Get him here now and I'll tell him in front of you sort of thing. But um, yeah, that just crushed me unbelievably. Um, but then lockdown happened. So, which is why I try not to go too hard in them a lot of times. You know, for all I know, they may have been very anxious that they could potentially be losing their jobs or something like that. And they've got families to support. So I'm not like furious at them. I don't think you know, that's disgraceful, but because I'm sure there was a bigger picture. But, you know, it was a simple conversation at the end of the day. That's all they had to have with them. Which, um, yeah, initially in lockdown, I carried the anger from that with me into it. And then it was only sort of, as the mom's went by, I was like, you know, I, I don't ever have to go there ever again. The antagonist in that situation, I never have to see him ever again. Um, so yeah, drew a line under it, binned him off on all social media. And because I'll always try and repair broken relationships. So if I'm seeing someone that doesn't work out, it's always like, ends in good terms and that sort of thing. But every now and then you just have to put your hands and be like my last bet without this person. And that was just the case with him. Yeah, I mean, we've got a short time on this planet. You know, there's no point, no point wasting it on, on people that just aren't deserving of your time. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Um, Adam, your, your, yours is a bit different to, to anyone I've had on here. You, you say you've not personally struggled with mental health. So it's, it's really interesting to get your sort of perspective on things because, you know, a lot of people will struggle with mental health, but actually a lot of people won't, <laughs> you know, but you've been around it and, and that can affect you as well. Um, to say it was your, your best friend who, who unfortunately committed suicide. Yeah. So um, it was one of my best friends, my best friend from all through secondary school um, then through college and thing. Um, and with him, for example, it, it, it was a, a weird one. Like, I always spoke to him. I spoke to him two or three times a week after college. When we left college, so it was a few years ago now. Um, I think it was four years ago. It was four years ago in January, just gone. Um, but then for a little while, we knew that he wasn't sort of okay in terms of how he was getting on with depression. Um, and he would sort of, he would struggle to speak about it as well. And it was one of those things, I think even a few years ago now, it was one of those things that wasn't really spoken about as much as it is now, as in terms of mental health, it's not 
as it wasn't as prevalent back then like people didn't like to speak about it did they um and yeah there was a period around just before christmas time when we were i was actually speaking to him i was in the pub of him at christmas and he was talking to me about saying how he was fine said he was all fine and everything and then within two weeks of that we found out that he'd committed suicide um and it's a really difficult one because if you if you um like take a step back and think about it there were signs there that he really wasn't okay and it does make you always think maybe there was more that we could have done maybe try to make speak to him a bit more and things like that but because somebody was saying they're okay we just sort of thought okay yeah he's saying he's okay so he is and I think what I've learned from that is always check up on people more more so um always speak to your friends if they're saying they're having a bad time or they say they're okay or even if they've not spoken to you always check up on them because you don't know what that one message might do to that one person. Um, because yeah, it, it's just it was just a really difficult situation when you when I look back on it now. Because I feel like there may have been more that I could have probably done to maybe speak to him. But it's difficult because when somebody's saying they're fine, do you take that at face value or do you have to look into it in more detail? And it's a really difficult situation. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just not an easy situation, really. Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean. You know, I've been in a situation recently where someone I know um, got to that point. Thankfully, you know, they they didn't end up committing suicide. But when I when I found out, you know, they got to that point where they but I was about to, you know, it's, it's easy to blame yourself. Like, why didn't you see it? You know, I, I've been for it. Why can't I see it? Um, and as I said earlier, people with anxiety and depression are the best actors. Like, yeah so so this is something that i can i can relate to because i saw him in the pub it was in december it was just before christmas we met up for a drink like we normally would do and i was, I, I remember asking him how he was coping now because i knew he was going through a hard time previously and he was sat there putting his hands saying yeah i'm feeling loads better now like i'm i'm all good now i think i'm over the worst of it and like like i said within three weeks that that was that and i've i've also been told that that's that sort of like the worst time for it when people think they are okay and then they have a relapse and go backwards. And then that's when when they do things such as commit suicide or attempt or things get worse for them. Um, yeah, it's just not a difficult, yeah, it's a difficult I mean, situation. So, so from my own experience, when I was, it was about four years ago where I, I got to that point, I, I basically bought all the drugs I could find, you know, paracetamol, ibuprofen, whatever, whatever I could see, you know, there's still cocoa in my own house and stuff. Um, but I'd probably say the week before, I, yeah, I was fine because I'd sort of accepted what was about to happen, um, you know, and if anyone asked me if I was okay, I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Like, and I actually was like, that's, that's the weirdest thing about it. And probably the two hours before, um, sorry, what's a bit we're talking about, <laughs> um, I, it's going to sound weird, but I was happy. Yeah. Like, Do you think I was, that's because you felt like there was, you were going to find sort of peace in a way? Yeah. It was, it was close to being over. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd been through two years of absolute hell. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd lost people, like I'd, I'd lost friendships. Um, I, I lost a relationship. It was a really bad relationship, but at the time, you know, I felt so worthless that I felt any relationship was a good relationship. When looking back, actually, it was probably a huge cause of, of what was happening to me. Um, 
and yeah, it's just it was it was finding that it was nearly over actually just brought me brought me to a point where I was like, I'm okay now. Like it's okay, it's not gonna go on forever. Um and and even up until about two years ago, um, you know, I was in a relationship and I said to I said to her, like, I probably won't be around forever. Okay. Like I, I I I had that feeling in my head, you know, I thought this is this is probably gonna take me at some point. Cause although, you know, it was easy and it was still very much there and it was still daily. I was having to battle it. I was still getting derealization where I didn't know what was going on in my life. And, but at the same time I was okay with it. And, you know, I, I was happier because I'd sort of accepted it. And now I'm not at that point, you know, I'm, I'm not at that point anymore where I'm, I think like that, which is, you know, been a it's, real major change. It's really, so this is obviously it's a really difficult thing to talk about. And if you don't feel like comfortable talking about it, don't. But what, what, so you say that you sort of bought like drugs and that sort of thing, and you were getting to that point where you felt like that was going to happen. What was it that made you not go ahead with that situation? If you, if. So my housemate walked in. <laughs> That's the only reason. Um, so she had been on a night out. Um, I knew she was out. I knew my other house, I think, was we, yeah, I think it was just me and her at that point. We was waiting for the next housemate to move in. Um, but um, yeah, I knew she was out for the night and she came home early because she got drunk too quickly. Um, and she's you know, she she was on this, she was one of the guests on the show actually. She's but she's such a, a real beautiful soul and such a happy person that when she came in and she was drunk and she was happy, and it just I had the clarity which I had from like I was about to end my life which you get and but then I had her distracting me so there was sort of the opposite clarity like what am I doing why am I doing this like I don't need to do this um but she just walked in at the right time and she was just being her and came strolling in with food and like it was yeah. just like a and it's such a weird thing to be such a turning point but seeing her happy and drunk just 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 made it okay for a minute and just took me away from that place to realize yeah. it's not that's a the... big thing i think that's a big thing that people need to sort of take from that that you can be in that place where you think that's it i'm going to sort of end things i think that's it you think that's it but all it takes is like one positive moment and somebody to make you realize that actually there's more to life there's more to, there's there's reasons to live and if it's something as small as seeing your friend who's happy and positive that's a real positive thing to take from it and and it shows you that there are positives in everything and i think yeah. that's something that people need to sort of people who are suffering need to try and look at yeah i mean that's it's why i've, I've tried to you know I'll, I'll be the first to admit i probably wasn't the nicest person between the ages of 16 to, to 22 uh, to some people you know i just a bit arrogant in in certain times or just not really thinking of others like it was just like a it wasn't like i was going out to be mean i just didn't think like i just you know thought something was funny so i'd say it or stuff like that and and actually looking back how how much that could have affected someone because if someone had said stuff like that to me when I was struggling you know I'd have gone home and thought about that for the next week and just let it drive me insane basically um so yeah no I'm really sorry to hear you know obviously you've lost lost your friend it's not easy um I've had someone else on here who's who lost their friend and 
yeah, it was it, it was someone I had met on a couple of occasions. It's it's, it's not easy. How, how did you deal with it after? Um, it sounds weird, but I, I in a way, I I haven't really dealt with it. It's something that I've just sort of accepted again with the, the mindset that I've sort of had with life. It's it's something that's happened. I can't change it. Um, so I've just accepted it and got on with with life. And as much as it, I, there's times when I think, ah, oh, we do, we did this together. We used to go and watch football together. We, we were talking about the personal training course before the podcast. We did a personal training course together. Um, and there's times when you go, oh, that was what we would used to do. We did these things together. And there's times where you think about it. But like I say, for me and myself, I've never really, I would, I, I wouldn't say I've grieved as such. I've just sort of had to accept that it's happened and. I've just kind of got on with life, which might seem really insensitive, but it's just the way that I I deal with things. Because if I sit there and think about it too much, I may be upset and that's not how I'd like to be. So it's just sort of one of those things that's really difficult because it's not really advice to give to somebody. Mm. I just sort I, of I mean, he, he probably wouldn't mind and, dwelling on it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, and again, that's something that, again, I probably haven't even really thought about that because I, 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 I don't, because I know it's a negative thing and I know it's something that could affect me in a negative way. I don't let it get to me. I I just sort of brush it aside, which probably in a way is there's probably not not the right thing to do. I probably need to allow myself to do to grieve and be upset and have these emotions. But I find personally that I deal with things better when I just allow myself to be positive, and that's how I've always coped with anything really. So. Well, we've each got our own ways, you know. Yeah. Some people will go deep into that. I know, you know, for me, that's what I need to do. But for other people, you know, it doesn't work for them. It's all about mental health. It's not a, a one size fits all. It's, I think that's something that I'm still learning. Like you say there, like with like like, as I've said, I've been fortunate enough to not actually have any sort of mental health worries, and I'm still learning now. Like my girlfriend, she suffers with anxiety, and I'm still learning now um, about how to deal with it and different ways to sort of react. And and it's just it, you learn every day. Even speaking to you guys now, you learn how everyone deals with things differently and you've got to accept that every single person is different and they deal with things differently. Mm. So Courtney, you know, I've, I've wanted to finish on you because you've used mind and you know, this is what this is. This all came about from we're all running the London marathon for mind. That's why I started the podcast. Um, so, 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 so talk us through a little bit about, you know, what got you to that point and, and how mind helped. Yeah, um, I think the other thing you mentioned as well when we talked before this was about some of the differences in between the US and the UK in terms of mental health and, and how um, you're able to access resources. Um, I think it is, it's almost a similar situation to what you and Jordan were saying about you know, this getting to a point where you know, things were really not good and needing to have um, a friend or somebody, um, somebody else kind of stepped in and say, look, like we can, we can make this better. Um, I, I had a really hard time when I was growing up and in my high schooling in the US um, and you know, th through a lot of things that happened to me, um, I was dealing with quite a lot of trauma, but it was very brushed off by some family members uh, and some friends of mine that I had. So I never really got to deal with it until a few years later when I was in my undergrad. Um, and through, you know, just normal life things, everything just started to kind of build up kind of like what you were saying about the balloon. Um, and eventually, like, I just had a, I had a breakdown one day in my, in my um, room in university. My housemate came in and was just like, what is going on? And I hadn't told her anything. Um, I was really kind of keeping it to myself. Um, 
it wasn't at the time something that people really talked about. Um, and it was very much brushed aside by people that I would have talked to. Um, so it's really hard to, to find that kind of resource. And she basically sat down with me and we, you know, we made a phone call to the doctors together to try to get something set up. Um, and yeah, eventually, you know, went in and, and had all the diagnoses and, um, you know, started, started on a weekly therapy and it was really difficult at first in the US. And, um, I felt a little bit, um, almost like resentful of it at the beginning because, and uh, you know, the healthcare system in the US is not great. Uh, I was a student at the time, so didn't have a lot of income and I had some, you know, lack of support from family, uh, in terms of mental health and the kind of lack of awareness of it in my own family. Um, so it was, it was a lot. I was, I was working at the time and had to pay for my therapy, but I think after a while I, I kind of started to view it as, you know, this is something I'm doing for myself. So it's okay that, um, you know, if I, if I have to spend a bit of money on it, like I should, I should give that to myself as a gift. Right. Um, so I spent a lot of time, uh, working through a lot of things that I had kind of put off for a few years. Um, and, and, you know, things started to get a bit better. Um, I, yeah, when I finished with my undergraduate, I moved here to the UK. Um, and yeah, a lot of things kind of crop up. And I think that's, um, that's something about mental health is it's, it's not like you wake up one day and I'm cured, right? You, you, it's something you have to kind of work with and, and to know and understand about yourself. And it's, um, an ongoing act of, of care about yourself to try to maintain how you're feeling and, um, to listen to what your mind and body need. Um, so when I got here, there were a lot of, you know, just, just crazinesses of moving to a new country. Um, I was, um, struggling in a relationship of mine, um, the the person I was with at the time also was suffering from mental health and it was very difficult for me um trying to act as a caretaker in my relationship so a lot of things going on and I I kind of got to the point where I you know was feeling the same way I had felt before um having having had this breakdown and at the time I didn't know anybody because I was very very new here um so I started looking online for mental health resources and and what to do and who to talk to and um, mind was a really, really amazing place to get resources, you know, not only just to know where everything is and, and how to get help, um, but having like, you know, a hotline to call and have somebody to talk to, or, um, there are a lot of really nice, um, outlets for, um, groups for like befriending or talking with other people who have, uh, similar situations to you. So I found it was really, really easy to connect with others when I was feeling very alone. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was really amazing to just have this, this kind of free service that would walk me through how to access resources. Um, a lot of times it is really difficult. I think when you are, um, struggling with your mental health to think about, you know, is it, is it worth it? Like, I, I'm, you know, I don't know the, the feelings of inadequacy. Sometimes you kind of think like, oh, I don't, don't really deserve the kind of help that I maybe need. Um, or it, it's really difficult to go and seek it out. Um, so having that kind of resource and having all of these uh, these things pulled into one place and the ease and friendliness and support offered by mind and uh, it was as all just made made the process really really simple. Um, so I was able to you know get set up with my GP and and um, get restarted on some medication I had been taking previously and um, yeah it, it was so so beneficial to me to have that and um, helping with the the transition through this stage of my life so. Yeah, it's it's really nice actually to think about um, being able to to now uh, take all this time and and do some uh, you know fundraising and and help to give back to mind a little bit.
Yeah, so I just want to go back to something you said towards the start there um, regarding your family, maybe not understanding it. So this is a conversation me and my dad have actually had recently where, you know, he won't mind me saying this, but we clashed on this. We, we clashed on this quite a lot. And I think it was because he didn't really understand where I was coming from or, you know, he didn't understand what I was going through. Like he, he'd had issues with his mental health. So he just sort of thought, this is how I dealt with it. This is how everyone deals with it. And, you know, he was ex-army, so he was very much, you know, crack on. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's very much that mindset. And it is a different mindset at the minute for our generation. And then even the ones below us, you know, they are probably got a lot more access to knowledge around it. We had nothing really in, in the last, up until like two, three years ago, where it was really common and that, that stuff was out there. Um, yeah. So you, you spoke about mine there and, you know, they, they are just a fantastic, fantastic charity. Um, you know, I've not had to use them myself because I've always been in a position where, I, you know, like Jordan, I could, I could go private, but a lot of people can't. And I've spoken to people who have used their service and there is people running who have used their service, including you. And they're just so important at the minute. Like we, we really do need charities like this because there's not funding in the NHS enough. Um, you know, the people that are are there are obviously trying to do something, you know, really good, but it's just they can't give the time because it's and you, you end up going to these like group sessions where you it's not what you needed at that time, or you get put on antidepressants and then just sort of left to your own devices. Um and the, and the aware that you you know if you go on their website they've got loads of stuff on their mind um, about how you can sort of improve your own yeah. mental health. Absolutely, so I really recommend anyone listening who is struggling just go check out their website. There's some really interesting stuff, really interesting articles. Um, and yeah, I, oh sorry, no no, you I, go on. I really like about mind and the you know the way that the resources are pulled together is if you're the sort of person who you know isn't maybe ready to or doesn't think that like a traditional therapy is for you they really lay out all of these different options um you know you you hear from a lot of of places like yep let's just go and stick you on medication and then kind of send you on your way and i think the really like amazing thing that that mine does is that they provide a lot of different resources for all different kinds of stages of working through mental health whether that's finding a group of people to talk to or just you know having like a helpline or somebody to ask uh, if you've got a question or if you're not sure what to do or um you know just providing guides for how to get involved in practices such as mindfulness like it, it's all there so if it's something you know that maybe a traditional therapy isn't right for you or you want to try something different um or you want to maybe engage a bit more in like a daily practice with your mental health um it's all there and it's just amazing um and one other thing i was thinking back about you know to the beginning of our conversation what adam was saying um the awareness is is so important and mine does quite a lot of work with that as well and just increasing the amount of knowledge about mental health so that way we don't have these situations where you know, there's a lack of understanding or it's that, oh, you know, it's not a big deal, like you are fine sort of thing. Um, the more and more knowledge we're able to actually pass around and, you know, get get people really to understand mental health as if it were any other kind of disease, um, then, you know, th we're going to be all the better for it. Things will only get better. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, you know, the more awareness there is, the earlier people struggling can sort of see the red flags. 
because yeah. I, I look back and probably I could have gone and dealt with a lot of my stuff about four years earlier, um, four or five years earlier. Like I knew now looking back up, I mean, how, how I lasted that long, I'll never know because there, there were clear signs. Um, and that's what the awareness does as well. It's not just, you know, talking about like when it's got to that point where you have to seek help, go, go see someone if you're struggling a little bit, like there's no shame in that, you know, you know, you don't, you don't go to the doctors only when you're dying, do you? You know, <laughs> it's for everything in between. Um, and it's just, you know, Jordan, Jordan said he's, he still goes, sees his therapist every now and again when things are cropping up and, you know, that's probably through education and a more understanding of what's going on that he's able to do that. Like he's able to see, okay, something's not quite right. Let's see how we can we can tackle this. Yeah, especially if a lot of the things that you do in your daily life are part of very long-term, you know, patterns of behavior or feelings that you've been dealing with for many years, even if you aren't, you know, having, uh, you know, like a, a, some kind of huge mental crisis or a breakdown, it doesn't mean those, you know, events and those feelings aren't still affecting you on a daily basis. So I, I absolutely encourage everybody I know to find some kind of outlet to talk about their mental health or about their, um, you know, their, their kind of daily struggles with it. Um, I, I think it's really important for everybody. Um, you know, even if you think you might not, oh no, I'll be okay. I, I'll do, deal with it later. It's it's good to talk to somebody, and you do learn very quickly that, you know, everybody feels a bit of the same. You know, nobody's really alone in it, uh, and it's something that we all kind of need to work together on. Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm conscious. You know, I'm taking up most of your Sunday afternoon here. <laughs> um, so, but I just want to touch on everyone's training. How's everyone's training going? You know, we're all. We're all slogging these long runs. I mean, it's 12 miles for me today. Um, we'll all be around about the same, just just sort of getting mileage under the feet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's gone. Nice <laughs> Very excited. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's kind of one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back, I find. Um, <laughs> I went and got a 10K personal best midweek, and then this morning I could only manage two kilometres because I picked up a calf injury at football training, so... I don't really know where I'm at with it. <laughs> what about you, Jordan? Um, yeah, I think it's going quite well. I think I may have overdone it a little this week. So the, I'm doing just the, the plans on the London Marathon website. And then there's a beginner, intermediate, expert, experienced one. I'm doing the middle one because I've done some sort of running events before. I just haven't gone up to the, the marathon level before. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll jump in the middle. And yeah, it's going pretty well. Um, I think I've ever done it this week though, because it's meant to be like four runs a week. Yeah. Now park runs back. I do I do enjoy doing that as well. So four becomes five, although one of them's just a little five K. I feel like going to spin classes um every Thursday morning just to kind of mix it up a little bit. And they're really good fun. I do enjoy them, but I do just think uh, are my legs just gonna cease. Yeah, you, need, you need to have that rest. I mean, I, I've, I only done three runs this week because when I went to go out on Wednesday, there was a massive thunderstorm. Um, yeah. Actually, it was a bit of a blessing because my legs weren't ready for it. Like, they were still pretty achy from the from the previous runs. And it's just, you know, everyone, everyone who's not doing the marathon sees you're doing the marathon and looks at the one day. The one day is probably, you know, it's described as your victory lap. It's four months and probably more, you know, we all start training earlier than the four months, but just the plans sort of start around four months. 
but it's it's time consuming it it you know it's all encompassing you you've got to fundraise and this year it's been so difficult to fundraise because you can't do events because you can't predict what's going to change next who yeah. how many people are going to get covid is the place going to get shut down the day before um so yes it's it's i mean i love the training it's it's my favorite bit i actually probably i prefer it to the day which is weird gave, to say like a focal point sort of thing. So as I mentioned, I've had exams and stuff get postponed due to the initial COVID outbreak. And then they finished sort of September and then I got my full, my full like portfolio assessment, the full qualification back in October. Then there was the November lockdown. And I was just so flat. I didn't have anything to do. I always had that. Well, I've got these studying, studies, these exams to do. I didn't, didn't have that anymore. I passed them all. So I was just like, well, what do I do now? Like, finish the work, what do I do? And then I got the email from mine being like, went off your place in the marathon team. And again, I was just like, Gee, yep, yep. Stop giving that. Uh, have any of you ran marathon before? No, never. No. That's one. So Amazing. So I'm going to give you a nice little tip live, live on the podcast. Be prepared for the weeks after the marathon. You will <laughs> feel lost. You won't know what to do. You'll just basically be wandering around like, well, what do I do now? It's, it's like it's done now. Like you've, you've. I, I really struggled in, in this why, but I, I had signed up already for Amsterdam Marathon, and I started got straight into the training to that, and I got injured during that because I didn't give myself enough time to rest after, after London, which I ran injured, and was told by a physio you should not be running London Marathon. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very weird, and I, I, it's called the marathon blues. I think it's a very common phenomenon, um, and most people experience it. You just don't know what to do because you're like, oh, I've just ran twenty six miles. It's all done now. Is it true that the worst part of the day is the uh, the point two, the very end? So when like your garments and stuff crank over to twenty six, you're still not done. I am. Um, so on the day, I so I got cramp in both legs at the same time in mile 25 and I looked at my watch so my friend had ran it the year before and she ran it in four hours 57 and I looked at my watch and I was like I'm not going to beat her if I carry on at this rate I pb'd my 400 meters on the final 400 meters of that marathon (laughs) and beat her (laughs) by like 20 seconds oh my god (laughs) because I was just like and it sounds really cheesy I stuck on Rocky in my on my music and I just went and I, I think I must have passed more people in that 400 meters than I did for the whole marathon because <laughs> I was like there's no way I'm losing <laughs> I always listen to like movie and film soundtracks and I'm running so obviously they're built in to kind of set the tempo of a scene or whatever so I was, I was doing park run yesterday I knew I was on for a park run PB so you know like the war film 1917 when he walks up and runs along the trench and the music <laughs> oh. I cranked that on and I just like head and went through it. It is amazing. Like I was, I was at my run today and like I was, I was struggling and like I just couldn't be bothered. So I thought, right, you've run the first five miles like a dickhead moaning the whole time. You're going to run now the next three miles at marathon pace as like a sort of a self punishment. And I just put on music because I was listening to a podcast beforehand. I was like, right, we're going for it. And I ended up doing it above marathon pace. I was like, yeah, let's fucking go. And then, the next two miles were hell, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> that final mile, because like as you as you build up your mileage, like it's all new distances. So I always find because it goes up in two miles, like on the plans, 
the first mile after, like what you done last week, you're like, oh, this isn't too bad. And then the next yeah. mile, you're like, oh, oh, my legs can't do it. Yeah, I very... feel him. <laughs> I was getting chased by a dog as well, like on the final mile today. Like a dog just started chasing me. I was like, oh, God, I don't need this right now. <laughs> Maybe they should do that on the final, like, point two of the marathon, just, like, unleash a bunch of dogs to chase everybody. <laughs> I'm like, come on, come on. So, so what you will find though is so i'd recommend getting as many people as you know to go yeah. and get them to spread out because i i was struggling like really struggling on my first six miles of of london and then mile seven i saw people that i knew they said i looked better at mile 17 than i did at mile seven because i started then seeing people and i was like yeah fucking i'm gonna go like my mum. i know my dad's here soon I know my mates are at this point, this point, this point, and like you knew where people were sort of going to be. So like every two, three miles, I knew right, I'm going to see someone I know. And and funny enough, when I was running across Tower Bridge, um, I heard someone shout my name, and I was like, well, no, no one's going to be here. I I turned around, and it's someone I went to school with in Stevenage when I was you know 12, and she used to live near me. And I was like, what well, what the fuck are you doing? And she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, I've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's, it's an incredible day and it you know it's it's a very tough build up but yeah it's it's an incredible day and just just make the most of it oh you're saying about the 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 day the marathon day the final 26.2 miles that's your victory lap so i started a little like excel spreadsheet you know here and i basically log all my mileage in there every week and uh yeah i'm currently with what nine weeks to go at 540 miles <laughs> so, this is mental <laughs> Yeah. No, no one's doing that on Instagram, do they? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've been doing like a weekly sort of Instagram video where I just summarise my week like at the end of my long long runs. And I've actually found that's been... I, I'm looking forward to looking back on that in a year's time because I didn't really do that last time. I've done it a little bit. I've done a few videos, but it wasn't like weekly, like this is what I've done this week. Like, so it's quite it's quite interesting. I, I like being able to look back on that. It's going to be something I'm going to be able to look back on with, with great pride. Um, yeah. So the final bit is the My Mental Mates Music playlist. Hit the reset button um, where you three get to pick songs to add to my playlist, which will be in my ear, which gets listened to probably every other day. So your songs will forever be involved in my life. So no pressure um, on this. But <laughs> no, I mean, to be fair, like I, I started this playlist, I've, you know, I say it in every episode. I started it at the beginning of lockdown. So I was just like, right there's certain music which I know makes me too sad and not to listen to that. And there's some stuff where it's just too upbeat and I don't really care for it. Like there's just certain like types of music where I was like, right, this helps me. Like this helps me just level me out. If my anxiety is bad, I can listen to this music and just sort of either get through the day or, you know, sort of like deal with what I was going through. Like it just helped me. Like some of it takes me to a place where I'm like really thoughtful, but other bit was just like really relaxing um, and then realised I'd been listening to the same songs for a year, so I needed new ones, and I thought I'll use you lot to get new music, and there's been some crackers, uh, which I love. So uh, we'll start with Courtney. What's your oh, song? Um, the song that I was thinking of um, is by Sarah Bareilles. It's called St. Honesty. Um, it's not a sad song, and it's not a happy song, but it's very relaxing, and I think it's really nice kind of... Sort of song um 
I really, really enjoy her singing. She's very kind of thoughtful and soulful and she's been quite open about a lot of her own um, kind of mental health and anxiety, especially. So a lot of her music tends to be very calming and relaxing and a little more introspective. And the song itself talks about, um, you know, like if things are kind of going wrong, like just be honest with yourself and it's all right to feel bad and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get it all out there in the open and, and then things will be better. Um, and it always it always cheers me up and just makes me feel a little bit better when I'm kind of struggling with the day. So hopefully I'll help you. Never listened to it, so I'm excited to check it out. Adam, what about you? Um, so my favourite band of all time is Oasis and my favourite song from them is Live Forever. And that's it, really. That's, that's yeah, just my favourite song, favourite band. And there you go, it's a song that I love listening to. Especially, I want I listen to I could listen to Oasis on repeat when I'm out running. So I'm more than happy to be adding that one. But... Yeah, so there you go. Nice and simple for you. <laughs> good karaoke song, live forever as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any anything by Oasis is good karaoke songs. You can yeah. just yeah. Let's be honest, they're not the best singers. They're just <laughs> two lads from Manchester who belt it out <laughs> and create great music. No, love that. And you, Jordan. Yeah, uh, music's, a, well, music's a huge part of my life, so I don't know if you can quite see. Yeah, I've got three vinyls, but framed, and then I've got two more in the in the hallway. I've got like ticket stubs from when I went and saw them in there as well. It's always sort of thing, you know, the, like it's really hard to sort of sometimes get across how you're feeling, especially like the early days when you don't know how people are going to react when you're sort of saying, oh, I'm you know, feeling really anxious and feeling really depressed. Where you put on a, a song, you know, it's, you know, it's not going to, you know, yell at you or make you feel weird about how you're feeling. You know, if anything, it's going to make you feel better about it. So that's always been a huge, huge part of my life. And I've got a very, very diverse music taste. I mean, up there, I've got uh, Blink One Eight Two, Arctic Monkeys, Taylor Swift in the middle. And then um, in the hallway, I've got Green Day and Wu Tang Clan. So my music taste is very, nice, very diverse. But, um, yeah, for my song, it's uh, it's going to be from Taylor Swift in the middle there from from that album, and um, yeah, leading up to and and after that sort of time uh, back in twenty fourteen, uh, "Shake It Off" was played endless amounts, and um, it just yeah always made me feel better about what was going on. So that's like I mean that, that yeah, everyone will deny that. liking Taylor Swift, but everyone loves Taylor Swift. Right. <laughs> that is a banger. Yeah, that, that, love story yeah i'm all over that that's one of my running songs that's on my right. running playlist yeah, and generally her concert is one of the best we've been to as well like people always think oh because i'm a 27 year old six foot four bloke you know it's attractive i'm genuinely that 1989 is one of my favorite albums ever and that is um yeah that shake it off i'd say is my mental health track if i'm being perfectly honest with you that's my go-to lovely well, thank you all so much for coming on um, and good luck with the rest of your training. Hopefully I see you on the day. Um, if you see me on the floor, can you just like pick me up and prop me to the side um, and give me some food? That's that's all I request. <laughs> Noted. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. No worries at all. Good to chat. Well, that's the end of a, another brilliant episode. Thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Um, really appreciate your your openness, your honesty. Um, yeah, fantastic people. Um, running the London Marathon for mine, 
uh, as we've spoken about throughout and yeah raising some money for a really fantastic charity a reminder if you want to donate to their pages you can do uh, in the bio uh, but yeah other than that I'll be back in a few weeks um, they, they're not going to be as often um, as previously marathon training has taken up a lot of my time at the moment uh, but we will try and get episodes out as and when possible so uh, look out for the next one <laughs>